This is not the first time a report like this has been done. Nope. In 1991, there was a minorities commission appointed by then Chief Judge Watchler, who declared that there are two justice systems at work in the courts in New York State, one for whites and a very different one for minorities and the poor. The, the report specifically said that uh, there was an instance where a lawyer of color was choked out in the middle of the courtroom because a court officer thought he was getting too close to the, to the bench. And the judge motioned for him to approach. Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why are you mad? Single dad, why 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 you mad? Really quick though, so you were on another podcast. Well, most recently, I was on the Six Figure Chick podcast. You know, just just giving perspectives of being a single dad, being a podcaster, being a black professional, like a lot of the community work that I do as well. That was fun. That was fun. And they but, show. But, but one of the questions the woman asked that I thought you handled very well was that she asked you, what would you say <laughs> to um, the dads that are out here that are not doing what they should be doing? Right. And first you talked about how we disagree, which was great. I thought that was excellent, right? Right. And you also talked about how the report that we read, which, you know, is something going to lead into one of the things that I wanted to talk, you know, to you about today. If you remember that we read years ago, it was like on maybe our second or third episode. What was it? The um, the, the the myth of the absentee myth black of father. The absentee black father. Exactly. Exactly. And I have heard other people refer to that report after that, right? I think they even refer to it when another when another podcaster or another um, in it, uh, IG community was on the Oprah Winfrey show. I heard them refer to it also. But you said to her, "Well, you know, historically, you know, blah 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 blah." Right. That, you know, black fathers are more inclined to spend time with their kids and change diapers with their kids and eat breakfast with their kids and take their kids to school. And I don't know if she edited it out. Right. But was there any dialogue or back and forth on that or was it just that clean? Yeah, it, it, it was that clean. So did you refer them to the report? Did they even push back on it? No, no, they didn't. They didn't push back on it. And I, and I, I made the point on their show discussion you and I continue to have about the subject. People generally go by word of mouth. Even if you look at the way most people get their news, most people get their news, not necessarily from sitting there watching Fox or CNN or MSNBC. They, they get it from Instagram, which is basically, you know, or, or, or Facebook. Twitter. Or Twitter too, right. Like social media. And you think about the way when it comes to dealing with the court system, particularly being like men of color, anecdotally, you're taking the L. So if, you, if you're constantly told you're taking the L, you're taking the L, you're taking the L, yo, you ain't got the wins, a lot of dudes ain't gonna fight, you know, which is so, kind of the thing that we go back to. So uh, yeah, and that's and, the point I made that is a good place to transition. That is an excellent uh, pivot, the court system and, and, and taking L's, right? So I came across a report yep. that was published in October of 2020. And the report, is titled Report from the Special Advisor on Equal Justice in the New York State Courts. The courts asked an advisor to do a report on equal justice of the courts. This is a New York State Courts. This sort of like they call them blue ribbon reports, right? This is a New York State Courts doing a request to report on themselves, right? And the person who requested the report was Chief Justice D. Fiore. 
I did some uh, research on her. Uh, she appears to be a white woman. She is 66 years old. She was born in Mount Vernon. And uh, the person she hired to do this report is a dude named Jay Charles Johnson. Uh, he is a brother. He is a graduate of Morehouse. <laughs> right. He also graduated from Columbia. He was the Secretary of Homeland Security from 2013 to 2017 under Barack Obama. And then under uh, Trump, um, he was the Homeland Security Director for about seven hours until they found somebody else. Right. The biggest part of this report that jumped out at me is uh, the implicit biases. Right. And when it says court, it talks about the family court. It talks about housing court. It talks about, you know, small claims or whatever else it is. But the biggest focus I've seen is on housing and family. And one of the reasons that this report was important to me is because if you remember, I wrote a letter to the supervising judge of the family courts in uh, 2019. It was when I was in the middle of my custody hearing, my second custody hearing on my kid. And I talked to the judge about how the chief judge, or I wrote to the judge about how um, I felt that there was implicit biases going on. From the time I entered the building, when the court officer asked me had I been served yet, when I asked him what time some window opened, to the time I got to the window and I told the woman that I wanted to have, you know, I was looking to get, you know, full custody of my kid. And she told me I need to go get the birth certificate. And I said, well, what makes you think I don't have the birth certificate in the first goddamn place? Right. Um, she looked at me like I had, you know, two heads on. To the time, you know, when we first got to support court and they automatically sat me in the defendant's chair versus sitting me in the plaintiff's chair. And I was the plaintiff at the time right. and when they realized the mistake and my son's mom said yeah he's trying to get the child support for me and the court officer laughed out loud all of these things I felt like were signs of implicit biases in 2019 and I wrote it to him and they wrote back to me we hear you we take what you're saying seriously although she is the supervising judge you know she's ethically barred from commenting or intervening in the matter pending before another court jurist but the family court is dedicated to treating all litigants with respect and fairness and takes seriously all feedback. Thank you for taking the time to bring your observations and concerns to our attention, right? Right. So did you get a chance to look through this at all? Yeah, I did. I did. So I, I went through the documents. But before you go there, right, Like because we, we talked a little bit about the letter. And if you, you hear the wording, you hear the way that it's addressed. It is absolutely one of those letters that if they were a corporation, people were like, yo, we're not fucking with them. Right. Because it's completely hands off on the situation. There's no apology. There's no we hear you. We sympathize with you or empathize with you for what you're going through. There's not even a we will look into the map. Right. It's just like, oh, well, we can't touch it because you're appealing and um, we take it seriously. We ain't doing shit about it, but we take it seriously. But they had to know that this thing was going on at that time. Right. If this report was in October. They had to know that interviews and stuff like this was going on. They had to know that, you know, that this was an issue at that time and other people had complained. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, you know, from, from, a, from a corporate standpoint, which is they may know what's going on. They may not be at liberty to discuss or comment about it as it's going on. And then also is how high up the food chain did notification of it go, going on take place, right? So it may be that it was ordered at, at the highest levels and the interviews are going on, but not everybody who works with the courts or responds on behalf of the courts knows that that conversation is being had. 
but if you read the report, they're doing a lot of interviews of a lot of people at all the courts, right? Yeah, the, so the, you got to people coming around asking questions. There's got to be yeah. something going on. Oh, absolutely. So they 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 probably were not going to admit to something, particularly if it has not of been. Of course there. not. Of course not. Of course not. They ain't dumb, and I didn't right. expect them to. But implicit biases, and because we're single dads, and because the majority of us at some point have ended up in court you know, or will end up in court or had to do some sort of negotiations or whatever else it is. What is your interpretation of implicit bias? Implicit bias, meaning that there is a predisposition to make assumptions and behave in a bigoted way against, you know, a group of people just from- Or a non-bigoted way against a group of people who, you know, you tend to think are better than- Right. Yeah. So I, I looked it up also. And yeah, it says, um, this is from Perception Institute. It says, thoughts and feelings are implicit if we are unaware of them or mistaken about their nature. We have a bias when rather than being neutral, we have a preference for or aversion to a person or group of people. Thus, we use the term implicit, implicit bias to describe when we have attitudes toward people or associate stereotypes to them without our conscious knowledge. A fairly commonplace example of this is seen in studies that show white people will frequently associate criminality with black people without even realizing they're doing it. Right. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a given. It's been studied ad nauseum. You know? Yeah. So yeah. have you ever taken an implicit biases test? You know, I, I've taken tons of psychological exams and tests. I'm not sure if I've taken an implicit bias test. I found a website for one, and I'm going to put it in the description or the notes, but in case anybody wants one, Harvard University has one, and it's implicit, I-M-P-L-I-C-I-T dot Harvard, H-A-R-V-A-R-D dot E-D-U forward slash implicit again, forward slash. And uh, I'm going to take it. Um, if you take it, <laughs> I, I absolutely will, and I, and I'll tell you what I, you know without I would love it, to come back and talk about our results. I would love I, to. I, I'll I'll make the prediction right now that we absolutely suffer from implicit biases, and we absolutely suffer from implicit biases against our own people. I, I will so, say it right. Well, we have already admitted that we've already come to that because if you remember when we met with um or we spoke with the woman from California, mm-hmm. and she said you know define a single dad or what does a single dad mean to you and immediately both you and I said something that was sort of negative, right. you know versus yeah so we've already done it but um by the next time we speak I'm going to take this if you get to take it we can talk about what our results are yeah so um this thing Perception Institute says why it matters and I'm pretty sure this is you know. Um, basic, but I just want to say it out loud, right? The mind sciences have found that most of our actions occur without our conscious thoughts, allowing us to function in our extraordinarily complex world. This means, however, that our implicit biases often predict how we'll behave more accurately than our conscious values. Multiple studies have also found that those with higher implicit biases levels against Black people are more likely to categorize non-weapons as weapons, such as a phone or a gun, such as a phone for a gun or a comb for a knife. And in computer situa- and in computer situations are more likely to shoot an unarmed person. So, Similarly, white physicians who, who implicitly associate black patients with being less cooperative were less likely to refer black patients with acute uh, coronary symptoms for thrombosis or specific medical care. 
You were going to say something? No, I was going to say, you know, the, the very interesting thing about that, right? The, the mortality rates of Black women when they go in for, for child. Yes. The reaction that is given to Black patients who come out of anesthesia. You know, you come out and very often you're disoriented. You're going to have different reactions. Knowing tons of medical professionals, very often the, the reaction is different. If a Black patient comes out and is disoriented or combative, the immediate response is to restrain them. If a white patient comes out, the same medical staff may or, or are likely to be predisposed to comfort. So this yeah. is also how we got to the, you know, when the crack was out, it's a moral issue, but now that it's about uh, opioids, right? What are they called again? What kind of it's, drugs? It's, it's, it's an epidemic. It's a physical dependency. It's right. a. It's not a moral issue. It's not a just say no. The companies are at fault for pushing the drugs, and and everybody else is at fault. But the person who's taking the drugs, you know, is no the opioid. That's what I was trying to say. Right. Um. So one of the things about that uh, why it matters that jumped out at me was I remember um, I was calling the police on my phone. Uh, my girlfriend at the time um, had got into it with a parking attendant in Midtown Manhattan, right? And uh, when I showed up there, he saw me, and this was a black parking attendant. Um, he saw me or Hispanic and ran to his car like he was going to get something. So I called the police, right? Right. And the police show up. And you know, you're in one of those underground garages and they come walking down a ramp, probably about four cops. One white guy, or maybe three white guys, and one Hispanic uh, woman. She obviously looked Hispanic. Well, she looked Hispanic to me, if I remember it correctly. So I'm on the phone, and I got my phone to my ear, and I'm holding it up like this. And the white cop takes his gun out and starts pointing it at me and is talking about, put it down, put it down, put it down. And I'm just looking at him like, put what down? And the Spanish officer that was with him just turned and looked at him like, why do you have your gun out? What's the matter with you? Right. And when he got down with me, and he saw that it was my phone, you know, he put his gun away. He's like, and, 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 oh, I thought you had a gun. I thought you had a gun. I thought you had a gun. Right. And then after everything calmed down and I took control of the situation, he's just standing across from me. And he said, I'm sorry, man. I thought you had a gun. And I wanted, or I should have said, fuck you. Right. That's what I should have said. Cause he could have shot me. Right. And he had to be 200 feet away. And he was the only one that saw it that way. Yeah. I, so they, that, is, that is the thing, right? That is the thing. If you are told that you are surrounded by monsters, you see monsters everywhere. Particularly like we go into police or, or, or the court system. If you are told that the people that you are policing or the people that you are passing judgment on, on are less than human, you will treat them in a subhuman manner, right? This is, this is like an American occurrence. So how do you feel about Kamala Harris saying that we do not live in a racist society, or we do not live in, or America is not a racist country? That's bullshit. And that, and that, com that comes from a, a place where, it comes from one or two places. One Why of two. would she say it? Why would she say it? Because that has not been her lived experience, which I, you know, as a black woman and an Asian woman, you know, you've had to experience it during the course. So it becomes, if I say it, then it makes it true, right? And it creates a soundbite for people who want to spread the bullshit, basically, that America is not a racist society. America has not been founded on racism. 
America has not had a history of racist behavior as a country or that institutionalized racism doesn't exist. Like if you take a step back and just look the way that this country was founded, the way that this country functioned, America has been founded and has thrived on implicit biases and the exploitation of minorities. This is just the way it works. So speaking to that, the report itself, one of the things that it says, which is one of the first things that jumped out at me, and you know, I highlighted a bunch of things before I sent it over to you is that, but in one form or another, multiple interviewees from all perspectives still complain about an under-resourced, overburdened New York state court system, the dehumanizing effect it has on litigants and the disparate impact of all of this on people of color. One of the things that they were trying to say that I read in this report is that, first of all, the facilities are shit. They said the facility in Brooklyn isn't even a city or state building that it's they a rental. rent. <laughs> it's a rental. Like, like, we, 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 we don't care. That they rent that building from a landlord who is on the watch list for uh, slumlords. Like the worst landlords in, in New York City. He's on a slumlord watch list and the city's I'm giving him money. And I got to go to the bathroom and I'm going to the bathroom in a piece of shit bathroom. And I got and the building is shit and the stairs are shit or whatever else it is in there and I keep it up. You know, you, you find it hard to believe that you're going to get justice there. Well, or, or, or even on the other side of that coin, you're an employee who has to go to work in that building on a oh, daily shit. basis, right? Oh, shit. So that, that, that environment is going to affect your disposition and it's going to affect the people that ultimately bring you there. Seek, those people who are there seeking justice, you're like, I got to work in this shitty building because of these people. And it's always these people, right? Because once you once you set up, separate things between us people and those people, it creates that 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 space for that dehumanization to take place. So thing I want to really touch on some of the points in this thing, and then I'm going to post it or a link to it or notes or whatever else it is, so that if anybody else wants to read it, they can on their own. So here's one of the things it also says: it says that this is not the first time a report like this has been done. Nope. In 1991, there was a minorities commission appointed by then Chief Judge. Watchler, who declared that there are two justice systems at work in the courts in New York State, one for whites and a very different one for minorities and the poor. There was a racist Facebook posting by the Brooklyn-based court officer, which appears to have peeled the lid off of long simmering racial tensions and intolerance within the court officer community, particularly in your hometown, Kings County. They said this too is not new. In 1991, the Minorities Commission noted racial tensions that existed then within the court officer community. In 2020, a number of court officers of color were outspoken to us in expressing similar grievances and told us the Facebook post was not an isolated incident. According to court officers of color, the use of racial slurs by white court officers is common and often goes unpunished. These court officers almost told us they feel they could not report incidents of bias for fear of being ostracized by their fellow officers and facing adverse career consequences from powerful and entrenched union leaders. We note that at least one union leader has himself posted offensive messages on social media, leading several uh, court officers to brand union leadership as a safe haven for racist speech and actions. Right. Sounds like the New York Poli City Police. It's, you know, what, what you have, right, very often is a communal sense of bigotry. It's, it's, it's that us versus them mentality. 
And so as a court officer, you are more likely to side with district attorney's office. You're more likely to side with police officers. You're more likely to side with the prosecutors. And you look at defense attorneys as bleeding hearts. When people say slavery was so long ago, segregation was so long ago, what's the big deal? Stop making a big deal out of it. All you got to do is work hard. I was listening to this dude on Fox News today, a brother with these other three uh, panelists who were all white talking about, it's just about hard work. You go, you got to do is work hard. All you got to do is work hard. In 1983, a Supreme Court justice in Queens looked out of his courtroom and reportedly said, there's another nigger in the woodpile. In 1994, a Finger Lakes judge was reported to have remarked in open court, oh, it's been a rough day, all those blacks in here, after arraigning three black defendants arrested in Collins disturbing. It would be naive to think that such a large court system serving such a large, diverse and dynamic state, these expressions of overt racism are isolated. As documented by two judicial commissions over the last 30 years, explicit and implicit racial bias has existed throughout the um, New York state court system. The bad news is that accounts of explicit and implicit racial biases we heard as part of this review were strikingly similar to the testimony from decades ago. Like it's, it, it was happening then and it's still happening now. So then why should I expect that when I go into a courtroom that I'm gonna get treated fair? Especially when I go in there and my big mouth and, and I'm using words that they don't expect me to use, so on and so forth. Why, would I, why should I think even remotely that, you know, this is going to be a safe place? With a lawyer or without a lawyer? Because the report also talks about how they treat lawyers, especially lawyers of, lawyers color. of color. Right. Oh, like, oh, the, the, the report specifically said that uh, there was an instance where a lawyer of color was choked out in the middle of the courtroom because a court officer thought he was getting too close to the to the bench and the judge motioned for him to approach dude <laughs> right he's an attorney the judge motions for him to approach and the court officer was like oh i thought that the defendant was rushing the judge and chokes him out in the middle of the courtroom implicit biases but they're not new shit they're not new shit right there was like when 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 you sent me this, it was like, hey, I want to discuss this. Take a look at, and I and I'm looking through the report, and I'm going, yeah, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Am I disgusted? Yes. Are you? Am surprised? I surprised? <laughs> Am I surprised by like? I could not say I was surprised by anything that was in that report. I go, yeah, that could happen. I could see that happening. Yep. I mean. I don't know if you saw the news. Uh, gosh, it might have been like three weeks ago. I don't even know if it was that long ago. But there was a, an instance where a court officer was on a virtual, a virtual case. And the defendant was told to, uh, to relay some information to someone, you know, someone on his defense team uh, told by the judge and he leans over to to say whatever it was he had to say and his boxers flash in the shot so like his shirt raised up and his boxers shot uh, were caught in the shot and the court officer referred to him as a nigger and was like you know these fucking moving yards and New York is a progressive state that's my point here right, New York, right. New York, imagine what the, imagine what the fucking report says in I'm sorry Alabama Mississippi 
Mississippi is the poorest state in in in, in the union right now. Right. Imagine what it's at, what it's like in Mississippi. Because because here's here's the other thing, right? Just because people are progressive doesn't mean you know, and they're politically progressive or or they're politically liberal does not mean they necessarily correct fuck with minorities. So another point: the number one complaint we heard from multiple interviewees from all perspectives was about an under-resourced, overburdened court system, the dehumanizing effect it has on litigants, and dispar- and a, a disparate impact on all of, and has on all all this has on people of color. At the same time, a disproportionately high percentage of the civil or criminal litigants in the housing family civil and criminal courts in New York City are people of color. The picture painted for us was that of a second-class system for justice for people um, of color in New York State. One judge told us that this systematic reluctance to devote resources to these high-volume courts in New York City, which primarily serve indigenous people of color, is the very definition of institutional bias. By not funding by not putting them in new buildings or, or, or by only renting out from slumlords or whatever else it is, yeah. it's, it, this, this is institutional bias and or converts to institutional racism. Right, or, or not providing you know, an, an adequate number of public defenders or, yes. or, or, or number, an adequate number of hours or allowing for you know, you know, an, the adequate number of people, hours for people to cover the docket, right? Which is a thing. It's and, and, modern day Jim Crow. It's modern day Jim Crow. So what would you say your biggest takeaway from this this report is? My biggest takeaway from this report is this isn't new shit. Like this, this is this is ongoing. This is, you know, the way that the system has been set up and the system continues to deteriorate in its current fashion. So for me, now that you mention it, right, I think the biggest takeaway for me is that, like you said, this is nothing new and they're not doing anything different. And my original thought was that, you know, the judge who, you know, requested or ordered this, you know, had the best of intentions. And I'm wondering if uh, now, if she was just going through the motions and that if anything will be any different, um, if that first report was done in 80, what, what was it done in? Was it 83, you said? And then there was one in 91. And we're at, you know, 20 years later. 40, 40 years later. 40 years, this son of a bitch. And we're 40 years later. So 40 years from now. Will this be the same thing or, you know, will there be anything? Because, you know, it's really, again, it's about resources, but it's really about testing. If you do some sort of implicit biases testing and you show people that they tend to act one way, then maybe they'll start to do something different. But one of the other things they touched on in in the report, right, is the idea of training, implicit, implicit biases training or racial sensitivity training. Yeah. Is either not present or it's inadequate. Or it's not mandated. Not mandated, right. And, and here's the thing. You do a, you know, once a year, once every five year, whatever it is, one day online course, one day in-person course, that is not enough to train, change people's behavior. Dude, I, I worked at a place one time where this dude, dude ran the implicit biases thing. And as, as, you know, his side thing that he did, he was our COO. And then a couple of months later, I got into it with him about something. And he said something that was obviously biased. And when I cornered him on it and said, pointed out how this could be biased, he just looked at me dumbfounded. Right. Because no, no, because most people don't believe that they are the problem. 
And but once you even show him, he acknowledged from his reaction, he realized what I was saying to him. He was just too proud to come clean about it. Which, which happened? Then you got to get back to being too proud to come clean about it. Right. That, so, so, so like, I, that's absolutely a thing. I'm, and I actually had that problem in the court, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you remember, I, I told this to you, right? But the judge kept saying, um, I see no reason to change um, Miles' legal, to make Mr. Crockett the legal guardian or take away the legal. And I said to him, you know, judge, you keep saying that, but we've had this discussion here a hundred times that that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to be named the sole legal parent. I'm looking to be named the parent in residence. And he turned to me and said, well, what does that mean to you? But he already knew that we had this conversation four times already. Right. He already knew that. He just wasn't willing to come clean and be honest about the fact that he fucked up on it. So, but the, so, so, that's a, so even once you shine the light, I guess is my point. Even once you, the flashlight is on, gotcha. Right. I, I got, I, I'm sh- flashlight. You got your hand on the safe, turning the fucking dial. You got the fucking <laughs> thief mask on and shit. You caught. You still not gonna come clean, right? But, uh, yeah. I, it's human nature, though, right? It's it's it's, it's absolutely human nature because I I, I say this. You know, outside of racial interaction, just in, just interpersonal interaction, nobody's ever the villain in their own story, right? We're we're all the hero. Yeah. We're all the we're all the Correct. person out there trying to do right and, and change the world and make things better. You know, it's it's a rare person that goes, "Yo, I really fucked that I up." Fucked that up. Yeah, I, I, I came in. With, I came in with the best of intentions, but I kind of fucked. But that I up. fucked that up. My bad. My bad. Right. Particularly if you're supposed to be in a, a, power, a, a, a position of authority, because yes. in in a lot of people's minds, being fallible undermines your authority. So and the it, first thing we got to do. So the first thing we got to do is get people to acknowledge their biases, and then once they actually acknowledge that they have biases, then you got to get them to fucking acknowledge that they made a mistake and then fix it. And right. I think that this. Not something that's going to happen anytime soon. But I'll tell you one thing I'm definitely going to do. The next time I'm in court or in custody or whatever else it is, I'm carrying this motherfucking report with me. And the first time that shit comes up, I'm going to fucking bring it up. I am not going to let these motherfuckers off the hook. But we need to wrap up. We are both going to take the implicit biases test and we're going to come back with our results the next time we talk, right? Black people forgive me for whatever the result is. And And then did you take... The uh, how much of a freak are you test? No, dude. You said we were going to do that live and live online. Okay. All right. I didn't know. I didn't realize I meant live. Oh, you did it already? Live online. Oh, okay. And then do it while we record and answer the questions. So, yeah, that's the next two things uh, we could do and, um, you know, and check our scores. Full action. Ladies, gentlemen, and consenting adults, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Single Dad Why You Mad podcast. We love you and we appreciate you. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends. David, you have anything you want to add? Um, yeah, I just also wanted to throw up there uh, 8,698 downloads in uh, over 62 episodes in less than two years. I don't think that's anything to sneeze at. Um, so thank you, everybody who is listening and who continue to listen even while we were on hiatus because I checked the stats and people are regularly downloading episodes since the 21st. Um, 
But outside of that, I did not get a chance to say welcome back to another episode of Single Dad While You're Mad. And then I'm going to close out with Single Dad While You're Mad. Single Dad, why you mad? Single Dad, why you mad? Single Dad, why are you mad? Single Dad, why 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 you mad?